Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. This episode is brought to you by Upstart. When it comes to paying off debt, it can often feel like an uphill battle. I really understand this because a few years ago, I got out of $30,000 of debt. I truly know the pain of high interest rates that result in minimum monthly payments that keep you trapped in an endless cycle of debt. I have good news for you. Upstart can help you get ahead. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score, like your income and employment history. This means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash refined. That's upstart.com slash refined. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. So that's upstart.com slash refined. I was tired of pumping the brakes in the heat of the moment. I was tired of negotiating my physical boundaries and feeling guilt and shame when I messed up. But mostly, I was just tired of keeping my pants on. I was quickly approaching 30 years old and I felt like a sexual infant. I was over it. A few years ago, I got dumped. I was as lost as I was hurt and heartbroken and I finally hit my breaking point. That is in the introduction of my upcoming book, Sexless in the City, that comes out next week. Like one week from today, you can like go to the store and buy my book or have your shipment from Amazon delivered to your doorstep. I am so excited and nervous. And I think I honestly feel every single emotion that I can possibly feel. I think maybe the the main one might be vulnerability. Like I feel like I'm walking down Sixth Avenue in New York City, butt naked, being like, hey, do you want to hear my story? I'm butt naked and it's cool. And it just, yeah, I it just is very, very vulnerable. I've never done this before. It also feels like someone told me, hey, you can breathe underwater. Just go jump off the deep end and breathe underwater. You can do it. And I'm like, but I've never breathed underwater before. And they're like, no, you'll be fine. Just do it. 
So that is what this book process has felt like. I feel like I'm walking around naked down New York City and trying to breathe underwater. And I've never done either of those things before. So here we are. Today, why am I talking about all of this? Because I'm doing another thing that I've never done before in the history of this podcast or my life. I am reading chapter one of my book for you during this episode. It is called My Breaking Point, and we're just going to go ahead and dive on in. You ready? Chapter one, My Breaking Point. Life in Lubbock, Texas taught me two things. One is that God loves you and you're going to burn in hell. The other is that sex is the most awful, filthy thing on earth, and you should save it for someone you love. Butch Hancock. Not having sex was easy. That was mostly because from my teens through mid-20s, my dating life was about as exciting as staring at a blank wall. Still, I was pretty high and mighty about the whole virginity thing. One time, I even stopped being friends with an old roommate because she started having sex with her boyfriend. All of that changed when I moved to New York City at 27 in hopes of becoming the next big fashion photographer. My first year living in the city, I went on more dates than I had in the previous decade. This isn't saying much since I went almost seven years post-college without going on a single date. Nonetheless, I was dating regularly and it was a foreign experience. As it turns out, it's a lot harder not to have sex when you're actually going on dates. In the midst of this, on a random fall Friday night at a friend's dinner party, I met him. It was like hearing a song for the first time and within the first few notes, not really understanding the why or how, but just knowing you're going to love that song. I was a goner. Add to that scenario a few glasses of wine, a makeout on a Brooklyn street corner that felt straight out of a movie, and did I mention he was wearing a leather jacket? Yeah, my resolve was about as strong as a wet paper towel trying to hold up a 50-pound dumbbell. I found myself hopping into a cab back to his place, and my 30-ish year commitment to abstain from sex until marriage almost flew out the window as fast as my shirt came off. In the wee hours of the morning, I tiptoed through his apartment, searching for my strewn-about clothes. If I left before the sun was fully out, and we didn't technically have sex, then I hadn't done anything wrong, right? On my sunrise cab ride back to Brooklyn, I was still intoxicated with all the feels from the night before, and probably a little wine too. I had never gone home with a guy in my entire life. In the past, I always felt guilty if I even got close to going past my physical boundaries. But for some reason, when I blazed right past them this time, I didn't, and that surprised me. After years of being on my virgin high horse, I wasn't ready to confront how weak my conviction was when actually given the opportunity to abstain. Not yet, anyway. I wanted a little more time on cloud nine before I started to think about how we were going to move forward since on night one, we had everything but sex. Overnight, my virginity was hanging on by a lacy thread. Going all the way. This guy pursued me, planned romantic dates, and texted me throughout the day when he was thinking of me. For the first time in a long time, I felt like a woman. He was honest and vulnerable with his feelings for me, a far cry from what I had experienced in the past. 
We were that couple, always making out in the middle of a restaurant while our waiter was trying to take our order. I was like Will Ferrell in the movie Elf, barging into his dad's office, throwing off his hat and shouting, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. I was smitten, and I didn't care how annoying we were. As the days and weeks passed, I started to wonder why I was waiting until marriage to have sex. And the heat of the moment, because the Bible told me so, no longer felt like a compelling reason to keep my pants on. And even though I graduated college with a Bible degree, for the life of me, I couldn't tell you one verse that said, don't have sex until marriage. Was it some antiquated Christian norm that was no longer relevant? As I looked around, I noticed that a lot of Christians I knew were having sex and even living with their boyfriends. It was all pretty hush-hush, but just because no one wants to talk about something doesn't mean it's not a thing. Christian or not, I felt like I might be the only virgin left in New York City. I was so conflicted, but at the end of the day, something still stopped me every time from going all the way with him. A few months down the road, I was in the city for back-to-back meetings and swung by his place for a quick hello on my way to yoga. He opened the door and I immediately felt an invisible wall between us. He cut to the chase. Turns out, as it had always been a deal breaker for me to have sex before marriage, it was a deal breaker for him not to. With me in a gridlock of confusion, we were at an impasse. So just like that, we broke up. As quickly as we fell into our relationship, we fell out. Choking back tears, I grabbed my yoga mat and left. Here's the thing about heartbreak. In a breath, you go from being blissfully happy to feeling like someone threw a bag of bricks on your back. As I rode the jam-packed subway car uptown to class, quiet tears slid down my cheeks. I was heartbroken. Chasing the pain. Have you ever tried to tear a piece of paper in a clean line? Inevitably, you lose control of the tear and it ends up all jagged and uneven. Then you wonder why you didn't go into the other room and grab the scissors from the junk drawer in the first place. It would have taken all of two seconds. That's what our breakup was like. We tried the let's be friends scenario. As with most things, it worked until it didn't. One night we were cooking dinner, listening to music, dancing in the kitchen, you know, Things you do with someone who's just a friend. I can't remember how or when, but at some point we crossed the invisible line we had been tiptoeing around for months. We kissed and our bodies didn't skip a beat. Things went from zero to 60 and within minutes we approached our all too familiar impasse. I wanted to have sex with him. My body and my heart ached for it, but something still stopped me. It was our final breaking point. This time, it was over for real. In the months after our breakup, I was in a fog. Chasing the pain away, I went to bars, danced on tables, got drunk, made out with strangers, and even took some home with me. I dated guys who were emotionally unavailable and going nowhere fast. I tried to convince myself I was just having my single ladies moment in New York City, living it up like the rest of them. And to be honest, I did have some fun times, but inside, heartbroken and disoriented, I was a mess. A fork in the road. 
It was one thing to be 16 years old in youth group and make a promise to God that I wouldn't have sex until I was married, but I was almost 30 for crying out loud with no prospects in sight. Even though I grew up in an outspoken purity culture, the church now seemed all but silent on the topic. This no sex thing was weighing me down and I was ready for liberation. Like any rational person wanting to justify a decision, I went to the person in my life I thought would agree with me, my best friend. She wasn't a Christian and didn't believe in saving sex for marriage. If there was anyone who would be on board with my new decision, it would be her. One night while we were doing laundry together at her Brooklyn apartment, I casually brought up how I was considering having sex in my dating relationships moving forward. She slowly put down the t-shirt she was folding, looked me square in the eye, and said, no way. My head cocked to the side like a confused puppy, and my eyes blinked a few times, trying to bring into focus what she had just said. She went on to say she wanted me to have sex so I could get on with my life, but she knew sex meant something different to me, that my relationship with God really mattered to me, and there must be some good reason why, for almost 30 years, I had chosen not to have sex. She challenged me to figure out what I believed about sex and God and why. She told me to read my Bible and pray. She pointed me to the Jesus she didn't believe in and made it clear that until I did some real soul searching, she wasn't going to support my newfound determination to have sex. This was the last thing I expected to come out of her mouth. I was as shocked as I was annoyed by her response. She didn't agree with my conviction, but she was unwilling to see me compromise my beliefs because I was tired of them. She called me out in the most loving of ways and fought for me when I didn't feel like being fought for. Now that is a good friend. I was at a fork in the road. Option one, ignore her, go to someone else who would agree with me and do what I set out to do. Option two, pause, take inventory, commit to the tedious work of self-examination, dig deep into my own heart, seek God and ask the hard questions. Much to my own surprise, I found myself taking the latter. She was right. I needed to figure out what God and the Bible said about it all, and then I needed to decide if I cared what it had to say. What I thought would be a few hours of quiet time with God turned into a multi-year journey of searching for answers to my biggest questions about sex, sexuality, desire, singleness, femininity, relationships, and the ways of Jesus. I started by looking up every single verse in the Bible that talked about sex. Turns out, God has a lot to say about not only sex, but also about desire, passion, gender roles, and the collision of our bodies and spirits. I read dozens of books about sex by scientists to psychologists to Jewish feminists. Like a journalist hungry for a story, I asked questions to anyone who would give me their ear from pastors to strangers at bars. I became that girl you regretted starting a conversation with at a party. I thought I'd walk away from this little journey confident in my decision to have sex in my dating relationships. I couldn't have been more wrong. A heads up. Just as my story was and is not linear, 
It may at times feel like I'm all over the place, but each word, page, and story is purposeful. You're going to have to trust me. I promise to remain rooted in scripture, share my story as truthfully as possible, and land the plane so you can walk away from this book equipped with a biblical vision for dating, desire, and sex, and with the tools to develop a healthy sexual ethic with clarity, vision, and freedom from fear and shame. With that said, I have created a framework to empower you to navigate your theology and beliefs surrounding sexuality from a holistic place. I've done this by separating this book into three distinct phases. Phase one, the deconstruction. To move forward, we first have to look backward, and we have to be honest. We'll walk through questions like, what do you believe about sex, your body, and sexuality, and why? How did these beliefs come about? Which of these beliefs are true and which are rooted in fear and shame? The goal of phase one is to identify and dismantle beliefs that are out of alignment with scripture and the heart of God. We currently live in a culture where the deconstruction phase can easily turn into a lifestyle. So much disillusionment can rise to the surface in this process that it can make you want to either walk away from everything for good or just sit in the deconstruction indefinitely. That's not what I want for you. My heart is to create the space you need to reconstruct your theology and beliefs on a firm foundation. The psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I hit my breaking point all those years ago because my theology on sex and sexuality was based on a set of rules with little to no biblical context or vision. I built a house of cards, and as soon as a gust of wind came through, it collapsed to the ground. I don't know about you, but I don't want to build another house in vain. The writer of Proverbs says, The wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious words promote instruction. I, too, desire a deep discernment for you that leads you to practical application in your life, a wisdom that will guide you to our next phase. Phase 2 the reconstruction. Phase two is about rebuilding a firm foundation of sexual narratives and beliefs rooted in biblical teaching. This is also where I'll cast a renewed biblical vision for sexuality, desire, identity, and intimacy. We'll walk through what our core identity is as humans made in the image of God, and I'll answer questions like, how does the way of Jesus differ from what popular culture and the church offer in regard to our identity and sexuality. From Old Testament to New, what does the Bible really say about sex and sexuality? What is God's vision for relationships and intimacy? What does the Bible really say about sex outside of marriage, if anything? Phase three, the practical. Head knowledge and theology only get us so far. This is why we need phase three, the practical. This final section is all about merging what we've learned with our daily lives, because true transformation happens when knowledge collides with our experience. The practical makes sense only in context of phases one and two. In this section, I'll cover topics like how to holistically embrace your sexuality, how to establish physical boundaries in dating, 
how to pursue wholeness before pursuing a relationship, how to take the awkward out of dating. My aim throughout all this isn't to tell you what to do, but to equip you with the tools to dig into your own story and seek the heart of God on your own accord. Take your time. This process requires work, work I can't do for you, but it will be work you'll be so glad you did. Trust me. Now, let me clarify a few things. Throughout these pages, I'm not speaking on behalf of all people for all time. I grew up in the South in the 90s and early 2000s and will be speaking from personal experience. I also want to acknowledge that I am a white, heterosexual, cisgender woman who grew up primarily in the upper middle class. I can't deny the immense privilege I have experienced because of those two things. I am no expert, philosopher, or anthropologist either. I'm simply a girl who grew up in Southern evangelical church culture and who has had experiences, positive and negative, that led her down the path of asking why. All I can do is speak to my experience with humility and honesty. I ask that you be gracious with me, open and curious. Whether or not you agree with me, my hope is that all of this encourages you to pause, think, question, and do your own soul-searching. This book is not a theological manifesto, nor is it gospel truth. I am not God. I've been wrong before, and chances are I'll be wrong again. It's also not an argument proving why you should or shouldn't have sex. It's not a set of rules, either. I think we have about enough of those, don't you? It's not a script to regurgitate to the person you're dating about what you believe about sex, and it's definitely not a 10-step guide to meeting your husband. Much to my dismay, there's no formula for that either. However, it is my story. The story I wish I had years ago when I felt terrified of sex, desire, dating, and relationships. I want to be the voice for you that I didn't have, if you'll let me the voice of a woman in today's culture who loves God, is walking the path of singleness, hopeful for a relationship, connected to her sexual desire in a holistic way, and not preaching a message I haven't walked. I didn't meet my person and get married in my early 20s. I have online dated. I have been ghosted. I have fumbled my way through this journey, and I'm still on it. This isn't just theory or theology for me. It's my life. My hope as we walk through these pages together is that my imperfect, doubt-filled story full of fumbles, failures, hard questions, and everything in between will show you first that you are not alone in your experience and second that you have permission to examine the narratives you were given and to ask hard questions. What I know is this, God is not threatened by your questions or doubts. If God is real, and I believe he is, he's not that insecure. Even though the gray spaces of our lives can feel scary to us, God isn't afraid of them. He has the grace and patience to walk with us as we pursue wholeness and search for truth. My prayer is that God will speak to you in unique ways as you dive into my story and that where there is confusion, God will bring clarity, 
And where there is shame, God's healing waters will wash over you, bringing unbelievable freedom. And ultimately, that God will show you his loving, gracious, restorative, and safe heart. All right, let's do this. What if we took this conversation a little further? What did you learn about sex from your parents, school, peers, and any sort of church or religious institutions you were affiliated with? And number two, up until this point, what are the beliefs you have held about dating, desire, and sex? When and why did you start adhering to these beliefs? And number three, what questions do you still have? All right. Thank you so much for listening to chapter one of my book. I can't believe it's here. You still have the opportunity to pre-order my book. You can find out more about that at sexlessinthecitybook.com. When you pre-order the book, you will get instant access to listening to chapter two on audio of the book. You'll also get a downloadable resource guide that I created with reflection questions and journaling prompts to take you deeper into each chapter because each of the chapters go through really intense stuff. Like I'm questioning a lot of things from God, faith, sex, spirituality, all the things. And I want to really love you well in that process. So that's what that resource guide is for. And then also when you pre-order, you'll get a discount code for anything in my online shop. So just lots of fun goodies. So go ahead, pre-order that. You can go to sexlessinthecitybook.com for more information on that. And y'all get ready for next week. I have a really incredible conversation coming up. Here's a little sneak peek. You have two women who love God. One has sex outside of marriage, one doesn't. It almost sounds like the beginning of a bad joke, right? But is one a sinner and the other a saint? Is one a Christian and the other not? Well, you'll have to stay tuned. All right, see you next week.